Shabbat Shalom. Sahorayim Tovim. Good afternoon. Ba'uchava. Welcome. We welcome you to the teaching ministry of Harlingen Messianic Synagogue. And good to be with you today. Uh, beautiful worship service today. And uh, uh, just good to be in the presence of the King. Amen. And and to be with you, to be with God's people, our family, Mishpacha. Uh, and so uh, we love you, and uh, it's good to be here. Uh, a few announcements before we start. Uh, first of all, please continue to hold More Hilel, a.k.a. Ciro, uh, our gangster rapper. Uh, hold him up in your prayers, if you would. <clears throat> uh, he He's still down. Um, and basically uh, what, what's going on is he, he gets vertigo. Uh, and particularly after the, when he goes up there, the chemicals that they put into him to do the scans and everything like that, and then the chemotherapy. He takes chemo every day. Uh, he takes a pill every day, um, and that's what uh, holds the cancer at bay. And so we're thankful that uh, the cancer has not grown, it's not spreading, it's not doing anything else. It's uh, uh, basically asleep, and shh, we pray. Uh, right? Don't wake it up. We we pray that uh, uh, that it it stays that way. Um, but uh, it's it's very hard on the body, very difficult on the body. And so he has vertigo. Um, I suffered the same thing uh, from from my chemo treatments, and that never goes away. That's going, you know, that's the rest of your life kind of a thing. Um, and some days it's some days it's uh, not so bad. Some days it's pretty bad and that's why sometimes you'll see me get up and I kind of walk in a little circle and I kind of like start going this way because uh, that's what vertigo does and so he's having that issue um, um, and stress and all of those kinds of things that will will uh, increase it, make it worse uh, so anyway just be praying for them, pray for Elsa as well um, and then uh, Everybody's going back to school, back to work. All the teachers going back to work. Uh, and uh, so they have all of that in front of them. So just be praying for them, hold them up and their family. Uh, second announcement um, um, for our board members. We do have a board meeting coming up September 4th, a month away. All right, so it will be Sunday, September 4th at 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and we'll be discussing the... The fall festivals, the pre getting preparation for the fall festivals, what we're going to do uh, for all of that. So that will be September the 4th at 11 o'clock. Um, and then as I was mentioning, uh, today is Shabbat Chasson, the Shabbat of vision or the Shabbat of prophecy. And although this is technically the ninth of Av, this is technically Tish Be'av. Everyone say Tish. Be'av, the ninth of Av. Uh, this is the anniversary of the destruction of the Holy Temple. Um, first of all, under the Babylonians, it happened on Tish Be'av. It happened on the ninth of Av, and then again under the Romans in 70 A.D. It happened again on the ninth of Av. As well, many other things of the 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 punishment for their not wanting to go into the land of promise. Uh, the, the story of the spies uh, happened on this day. God told them, since you don't want to go into the land, I'm going to send you out 
into the wilderness for 40 years. And so that happened on this day. Then the Babylonian captivity happened on this day. Then the Roman destruction of the temple happened on this day. As well, um, in the uh, 1200s, King Edward I of England expelled the Jews from England on this day. As well, King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella expelled the Jews from Spain on this day. The Spanish Inquisition began on this day. As well, the Holocaust, the final solution for, from Hitler and the Nazis, also began on this day. So many bad things have occurred on this day. Um, and so uh, this is a day of mourning and fasting for us. Uh, for the destruction of the temple and all of the ills that have befallen the Jewish people. Um, But because today is Shabbat, we are forbidden to mourn today. We're forbidden forbidden to fast. You're not allowed to fast on Shabbat. And we're forbidden to mourn because Shabbat is a, is a, a, a festival celebrating Olam Chabat, the world to come, in which there will be no tears and there will be no sorrow, there will be no crying, there will be no need for fasting or any of these things. And so because this is a dress rehearsal for that, we are forbidden to fast. You're forbidden to fast on Shabbat. You may not fast on Shabbat. And you may not, uh, you're not uh, uh, permitted to mourn. You're not permitted to tear your clothes or throw the ashes in the air or any of those kinds of things because it is Shabbat. Uh, and so because of that, the morning process is postponed until tomorrow. So tomorrow uh, is when we memorialize, we will memorialize Tishba up. There are a few rules, however, because technically today is Tishba up. After, after, uh, after teaching today, all Torah study ceases. After this class, all Torah for today, all Torah study ceases. Because the temple's destroyed. So we set the Torah down. And what we do is we focus instead on Jeremiah, Yermiyahu, Ishiyahu, Isaiah. And those things, those those um, uh, appropriate studies that are appropriate that are discussing the fall of the temple and all of that. Okay. Also, there will be there. You are not to celebrate Havdalah tonight. You are not to celebrate Havdalah tonight. That's part of the morning process because the temple is destroyed. So there was no Havdalah service that night. The temple's gone. So you don't celebrate Havdalah tonight. You light one candle and you say the the blessing for the ish, for the light for fire. You light one candle. You don't light the Havdalah candle. You just light a single candle, a Shabbat candle, one candle, as a memorial, as a a light memorial for the fall of the temple. Then tomorrow night. Tomorrow evening, Sunday evening, then you celebrate it, Havdalah. At the end of the morning day, you celebrate Havdalah then. 
Okay, so no Havdalah tonight, but rather tomorrow night, then you, tomorrow night is when, tomorrow at sunset, that's when you will light the Havdalah candle, smell the spices and such. All right. Um, Sunday is considered a day of fasting. It is not a Shabbat. It is not a Shabbat. However, so you may proceed with your day's business as you need to, but keeping in mind the sorrows that our people have suffered through the generation. And it is important for us to reflect upon the truth that these sorrows have been brought upon our people by our own sin and wickedness and disobedience before Hashem. Understand this. To mourn the destruction of the temple without mourning the cause of the destruction of the temple is to miss the whole point. Because it is not the rocks of the temple It's the heart. It's not that the Romans, because you see, if Israel had been doing right, if we had been doing right, the temple would not have been destroyed. The reason why the temple was destroyed was because we were not doing right both times. So, in memorializing the destruction of the temple, don't just consider that the rocks were thrown down and the Romans and what they did, but consider what cost it all. Why did God bring the Romans down to destroy the Beit HaMikdash? It was because of our sin. So in mourning the destruction of the temple, we mourn our own sin and disobedience. Don't just mourn the effect, mourn the cause. What cost? Mourn the sins of our people. And do we have a Beit Hamikdash this day? Do we have a Beit Hamikdash today? Why not? Go to Jerusalem, go to Jerusalem. There's no Beit Hamikdash there. There's an idolatrous building where the Beit Hamikdash stood. The Gentiles are still trampling over the holy place. Fine. There's still something wrong. There's still something wrong in our hearts. 
And so, as I stated during the liturgy, Tishbe'av is pointing us to two weeks. We begin the 40 days of Teshuvah, the 40 days of repentance. At the end of the 40 days of repentance, on day 30 begins, or day 30, Rosh Hashanah begins the 10 days of awe. A-W-E, awe, wonder. As we are this close to judgment. This close to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Leading us to the Day of Atonement. When the gates are opened, the scrolls are unwrapped, and we are judged according to our deeds. And it is determined, should God give us another year of life, or take us out. And then at the end of the day, the gates are closed, and our judgment is sealed. And so... This is a serious time of year. It's a time of consideration. And of course, followed by then uh, Sukkot, the great celebration of the presence of the king. And so uh, these are the things that are coming up before us. And so we ask that you keep all of that in mind. All right. If you would, I'm going to use the leader's discretion in the study today, and rather than going to Torah, we're going to go to the Brikhadasha for today's message. If you would, today's reading, Besorah reading, was from Matthew, Matthew chapter 24. Turn there, please. Because it is Tishbiyah. Yeshua HaMashiach prophesied that this was going to happen. He told the people this was going to happen. Now let me set the scene here. They're going out, uh, they're going, they're leaving the Beit HaMikdash, they're leaving the temple. After Yeshua has delivered an astounding rebuke in within the temple walls, there on the portico, Yeshua there rebukes the leadership. of Israel of that day. And the people are taken back. They're shocked that he would have the audacity to speak to the leadership in this way. Confronting the rabbis. and the Torah scholars, and the priests, and the Levites. And then he walks out. And that's where we find ourselves with Matthew, Matthew chapter 24. Now, when Yeshua went out, 
and was going away from the temple. His Talmudim, his disciples came up to him, came up to point out to him, why? Because he had just told everybody, this building is going to be destroyed. And in that day and age, the one thing you did not do is talk against, speak against the temple. And so everyone's shocked by his words. The temple is going to be destroyed. Not one rock is going to be standing on another. And in fact, He tells them, verse 37 of chapter 23, he says, O Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim, who kills the prophets and stones those who sent to her, how often I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you're not willing. Look, Kine, look, your house is left to you desolate. He's telling them, it's going to be destroyed. It's empty. There's nothing here. It is the same as what Hashem, what God revealed to Eskiel, Hadnavi, in Babylon, Ezekiel, the prophet in Babylon. When he gives him a vision and takes him up and says to, says to him, See what they do in my holy temple. This is the story that I've told you how they're worshiping the rising sun and they're showing their backside to the temple. And Eskel writes that he saw the 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 Racha Kodesh departing from the place, and that Ichabad Ichabad was written across the doorway, for the glory had departed. And it was shortly after that that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came in and sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the Holy Temple. And so here Yeshua is saying, look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will never see me again until you will say, Babuch b'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai. And he turns and walks out of the temple with those words. You'll, not, you'll never see me again. Our Father, our King. Our hearts are touched today. 
with the events of this day. And the horrific things that have happened to our people. Open our eyes, for we're living in another such a day. When the cup of your indignation is ready to pour over, and the wrath of God is coming upon all of the world, speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit. And give us understanding and foresight. Give us wisdom along with knowledge. And help us not only to be prepared for the days that are ahead, Father, but to act in faith with you. To trust you. To cling to you. Even at the cost of our lives. Ruch HaKodesh, speak to our hearts. Father, guide my thoughts today. In the name and through the merit of Yeshua Mashiach, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The Imu. So Yeshua went out and was going away from the temple. His disciples came up to point out to him the temple buildings. Don't you see all these? He responded to them. I tell you, not one stone will be left here on top of another. Every one will be torn down. And so it was. When you go to the, to the Temple Mount today, none of that, none of what is standing on the Temple Mount today is from the Beit Hamidash, is from the Temple. The Romans wiped the platform clean. What you see standing there was built centuries later. The only thing that is left is what we call the Western Wall. The Western Wall is actually not even a part of the temple proper. It's a foundational wall. It was built, what we call the Western Wall, is a wall, it's a a retaining wall. Because Zerubbabel, upon the return from Babylon, built the second temple. But it was nothing in comparison to the temple of Shlomo. And in fact, the people who remembered, the scripture says, the people who remembered the temple of Shlomo wept. It's as though you were to go to Washington, D.C., and you see the beauty of the Capitol 
and then something terrible, God forbid, happens and the capital is destroyed and you have like a wooden, little wooden building put up in its place and you remember what the capital looked like and now all you see is this little wooden cabin. And you say, what's this? But God accepted the temple of of Zerubbabel and told the people, yes, this is what you will worship me in. And so the worship of Hashem through the Beit HaMikdash began in a poor replication of the Temple of Shlomo. When Herod the Great became king over Yehudah, Judea, put in place by the Roman government, he wanted to appease the people, and so he was known. The reason why he is called the Great is because he made great buildings. He took on great building projects, and one of the things that he decided to do was to remodel the temple of Zerubbabel. And in, so in doing this, this was before this was, he began some 30 years before, the, or, or tw- some, about 20 years, I guess, or 10 years before the birth of Yeshua. He began this project, and what he did basically was he he built walls, retaining walls, around what was the Temple Mount and expanded it so that he could expand, so he could build a greater temple. And so he built these retaining walls and then they they brought rubble and fill dirt and such as that and brought that so that the mountain became flat. So it was like this, and then the little temple was up on top, and so he made it like this and made a platform on which to expand the temple area. So what is called the Western Wall, or by some the Wailing Wall, what is called the Western Wall, is one of those retaining walls where he expanded the platform on which the temple would be remodeled. So it's not even a part of the temple proper. It's it's what's left of the retaining wall. Of the temple proper, of the temple itself, of the Beit Hamikdash, not one stone is left standing. He crosses the valley Kidron, goes up the other side, up onto the Mount of Olives. Verse 3, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will happen. The book of Mark tells us exactly who the disciples are who approach him. They are Kepha, Peter, Yohanan, John, Yaakov, a.k.a. James, And Andrews, Andrew, these four. 
And they come to him privately. And the reason why they come to him privately is because the crowd has followed him out of the Beit HaMikdash and across the valley. And as I stated earlier, it was forbidden to speak anything ill against the Beit HaMikdash, much less to speak of its destruction. They're understanding, they understand what he's saying. So you can picture them, he makes this great, astounding accusation against the Proshim, against the Ralim, against the Levim, against the Kohanim. And he tells them, you're never seeing me again. And he turns around and he walks out. And as they're walking out, the, the Talmudim are scurrying after him and saying, like, what, what, slow down, slow down, wait, 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 wait. Are you saying, oh, this is going to go? And he stops and he looks at them and he says, look, don't you see all these? I tell you, not one stone will be left upon another. By the way, it occurred 40 years. 40 years. 40 is an important number. 40 years after he makes his prophecy. 70. The year 70. He goes up the Mount of Olives. They come after him. They go with him. The disciples then, so these four of them, they come up to him and say, okay, 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 we get it. We believe, we believe you. Now tell us, when's this going to happen? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Now, literally, the word for coming, what they, what they say here, the word for coming, is the word parousia, of your presence. Of your presence. And it's speaking of the Machut Mashiachi, the Messianic Kingdom. The Messianic, the, remember the Shekhinah, the presence that stayed with Israel through the wilderness and supplied all of their needs and all of their wants. Everything was taken care of so that even their clothes and their shoes did not wear out. They were given mana every single day. So that they were in need of no other sustenance. They didn't have to take multivitamins and uh, dietary pills and all that. They didn't have to do any of that kind of stuff. Everything was provided for them. But I want to go back. They're walking outside. And the Talmudim are perplexed. They're as perplexed as the people. What do you mean all this is going to be destroyed? Remember that they're thinking that he came to overthrow the Romani. 
They're thinking that he came to overthrow the Romans and to set them free. That's what this, that's what the Mashiach is all about. To deliver us. And instead, you're telling us that no, the Romani are going to come and they're going to destroy this whole city. And of the Beit Hamikdash, not one stone will be standing on the other. And they say to him, Don't you see what beautiful buildings these are? Why would they be destroyed? Why would God allow these things to be destroyed? But you see what the Talmudim are doing. You see what the disciples are doing. They're judging the outward appearance of the temple. But ignoring what's taking place inside. Which is exactly what God warned Shmuel about. When he was going, when he went to the house of Yaseh in Beit Lechem to choose a new king for Shaul had fallen. And so Shmuel goes to the house of Yaseh in Bethlehem, to choose a new king. And there, the oldest son stands before him, tall and handsome. The kingly appearance. But remember that Shaul also had, was tall and handsome, and looked at the part of a king. And so now Shmuel goes and he sees the sons lined up and here's the first one, tall and handsome, and he looks the part. He has the bearing of a king. And Hashem tells Shmuel, Kine, be careful. For you do not judge as I judge. For you, for man judges from the outward appearance, but God judges from the heart. And so who was to be the king? (laughs) A short little pudgy guy. Didn't look like a king at all. He was a little short. He was a little chubby. He was white, freckle-faced, red hair, could barely grow a beard. Him, king? Kind of like what we read in Ishaku 53 and Isaiah 53. There is no beauty that we should behold him. Nor comeliness that we should desire him. But his heart was right. His heart. He had the heart of God.
with Moshe. God said, Moshe, my servant, my servant is dead. But of David, he said, my beloved one. Make the connection. Make the connection. Go back to Matthew 23, Matthew 23. Look at what Yeshua, look at, look at what it was that he has said when he was in the temple just before he leaves. Yeshua spoke to the crowd and to his Talmudim saying, The Torah scholars and the Prushim sit in the seat of Moshe, so whatever they tell you, do and observe. Now, when people tell you that you don't have to keep the Torah anymore, you don't have to listen to the rabbis anymore, what does Yeshua say right there in front of you? Huh? Matthew 23, verse 1. The Torah scholars and the Prushim sit on the seat of Moshe, so whatever they tell you, do and observe. Do not do what they do. Now, what is it that they were doing? They were telling other people to do, but they were not doing it themselves. That's the hypocrisy. In other words, they were telling other people not to commit adultery while they themselves were committing adultery. They were telling other people not to steal while they themselves were stealing. They were telling other people not to kill while they themselves were killing. They were telling other people not to lie while they themselves were lying. They tie up heavy loads, hard to carry. They lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. This is the problem. Look, verse 5. All their works they do to be noticed by men. They make their tefillim wide and their tzitziot long. They love the place of honor at the feast and the best seats of, in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace, and they love to be called rabbi by men. So I've heard people say, well, you see, we're not, we don't have to wear tefillin because Yeshua is preaching against wearing tefillin. We don't have to wear tzitzit because Yeshua is preaching. That's not what he's saying. Nowhere does he say not to do it. He says, don't aggrandize it. In other words, don't have tzitziyot that are trailing 20 yards behind you. Don't go through the synagogue twirling your tzitziyot, you know, like they're, they're five feet long and you're twirling them so that everybody, look at my tzitziyot, look at how big they are. I'm so holy, so spiritual. Don't wear, don't wear, your, don't wear your, your, your tefillin, you know, that the straps are like this long and they're all braided in gold and whatever and you're rapping and, you know, in front of everybody, you're just throwing your arms around so everybody can see me. I like the way of the Sephardim. And I practice their way. Who tuck their tzitzit into their pants. They don't wear them outside their pants. They tuck them into their pants. Why? For this exact reason. This is between me and Hashem. 
You see, the reason for wearing the tzitzit is not so that you can see me and see how holy I am. Actually, the reason for me wearing the tzitzit is so that I can see them and remember what a sinner I am. How disobedient I am. The reason for the tzitzit so that you shall look upon them and remember to do all that I have commanded you. So that you shall look upon them. And so the Sepharim say, it's for me to look upon them. They love the place of honor at the feast and the best seats in the synagogues. Does it say that having seats in the synagogue, going to synagogue is wrong? Does he say that celebrating the pet? No, he says that what they're doing there is wrong. That rather than being servants, which is what we're supposed to be, they're being served, they're demanding to be served. But you know, I know a lot of Christian preachers that love to be called reverend and love to be called pastor in public, love it to be pointed out. They love to sit down at the table of the lunch of the Sunday lunch on the grounds or whatever, dinner on the grounds or those kinds of things, and they love to sit at the head table and they love to be served by the people. You're not to be called rabbi, for one is your teacher. You're all brothers. And call no man on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. Or you're, you're to be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Messiah. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. So many people want to be the pastor. They want to be a pastor so bad that they'll split off of this church and go start their own church. Because they just want to be the pastor. Because they know better than the, than the pastor that they're serving under. And they've got different ideas and they've got better ideas. And, and, you know, and, and, and so they just want to be the pastor. And so they'll go off and they start their own church. They take their family with them and they'll start some little church. My goodness, you drive through Harlingen these days, and you see church here, church there, church there, church there, church there, all these little churches everywhere. And most of it is like that. We had it happen when I was a pastor. We had it happen. We had, I had guys that would come in, and they'd want to be pastor, and they, you know, they, they would try to cause trouble in the congregation or whatever because they wanted to be pastor. And when they couldn't be pastor, when they, when they couldn't get their way, then they'd go off and leave and they'd start their own little thing. Being a good pastor is not an easy job. It's not even a job to be desired. Because you literally take all the problems of the people whom you're serving upon yourself, if you're serving them. 
But you see a lot of pastors today, they're not serving, they're wanting to be served. They're wanting to sit in their royal roost, to sit in their, in their, on their thrones and rule like a king. You want to be a leader in the fellowship of Yeshua. Those who are leaders are first servants, and even in the position of leadership, they continue to be servants. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself, God's going to humble him. But if you will humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt you in due time. Verse 12. But woe to you, Torah scholars and Pushim, hypocrites, for you shut people out of the kingdom of heaven, for you do not enter yourselves, nor do you let those enter who are trying to go in. People are trying to do, do right, and you're leading them astray. Woe to you, Torah scholars and Prusim, hypocrites, for you travel over land and sea to make one convert. By the way, when you, when you hear rabbis today, well, we don't make converts. We, we've never made converts. That's how we don't make converts. Just, just me and myself and I and our little group. And that's not true. The Jewish people were known for going out, for sending out emissaries to the Goyim because that was the job God had given them to do. That was the responsibility. And so you send, you'll go travel over land and see to make a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice the son of Gehenna as yourself. Woe to you blind guides. You say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. Whoever swears by the gold of the temple, it is obligated. O fools and blind ones, which is greater, the gold of the temple or uh, uh, the gold or the temple that made the gold holy? You say, whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind ones, which is greater, the offering or the altar that makes the offering holy? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears by both the altar and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by both the temple and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by those who sit on it. We spoke to all these things last week. Woe to you, Torah scholars and, and, and Prushim, hypocrites. You tithe mint and deal. Now we're coming to the heart of the matter. You see, he's building. He's, he's like a lawyer building the case. Woe to you, Torah scholarships and Prushim, hypocrites. You tithe mint and dill and cumin, yet you have neglected the weightier matters of Torah, justice and mercy and faithfulness. It is necessary to do these things without neglecting the others. O blind guide, straining out a gnat while swallowing a camel. Woe to you, Torah scholars and Prushim. Hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and uncontrolled desire. O blind Pushim, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish so that the outside may become clean as well. 
Woe to you, he builds it up. Woe to you, Torah scholars and prescheme hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, you appear righteous to men on the outside, but are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now we're going to stop there and back up. Why? Because of something that he says to 23, which is why he's telling them what he's telling them in 25 and 26 and 27, and through the rest. And that is this. And it has to do with the, the first and second destruction, the first destruction of the Beit HaMikdash of the temple. Was caused by what? Torahlessness, in that they did not love God with all of their heart, soul, and strength. The reason for the first destruction of the Beit Kamikdash was idolatry. The land was full of idol worshippers. Most of the people were idol worshippers. And the problem was, even in the days of Yermiyahu, when he was going there before the king of Judah, and he was preaching to the king of Judah, the thing about the king of Judah was this, that he was worshipping God on the one hand and worshipping the other gods on the other hand. And where had he learned that from? His great-great-great-grandfather Shlomo. For Shlomo built the holy temple, the Beit HaMikdash to Hashem, but then he turns around because he's married all of these wives and he's got all of these concubines and he's trying to keep everybody happy, so he builds a temple to their god and to their goddess and he builds this temple and he's building that temple and he's worshipping he himself is an idolater worshiping idols and doing all of these things. And God, because of his promise to David, Hamelech, because David was his beloved one, he told Shlomo, because of my love for your father David, I will not take the kingdom from you, but when you die, this kingdom will become divided and the people will fall away from you and they will become idolatrous and I will bring the Babylonians down upon this land and they shall destroy this holy temple which you have built. Why? Because no man can serve two masters. He will either love the one and he will hate the other, or he will love the one and he will despise the other, but you cannot serve man and your flesh. Excuse me, you cannot serve God and your flesh. Yeshua said, he who is not with me is against me, he who is not gathering in is scattering abroad. saying we cannot hold hands with God and the devil at the same time. Choose you this day whom you will serve.
And so the people of Israel, they learned their lesson. They learned it well. They never, 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 they have never, never, never after that day fallen back onto idolatry. Never, never again have they gone back to worshiping idols. And in fact, when, when Pilate came into the city, when Pilate took over as proc, uh, procurator of Jerusalem, when he came into the city, he brought the great Roman eagle and he had it hung above the gate of the temple and the people rioted and tore it down and destroyed it. It was upon the return from Babylon that Nehemiah and Ezra led the rebuilding of the city and rebuilding of the temple and they, they are the ones who came up with the with the, the, the liturgy for the temple, it, they were the, they're the one. The liturgy that we follow was written by by Nehemiah and Ezra and the, the 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 men of the Great Council. Whom, if you read today's parasha Deuteronomy chapter one, if you read it, Moshe instructs them to set up that council. And it was this great council that set up the liturgy, the temple worship, the reading of Torah. It is this great council that set up the breaking of Torah into parashot, into sections, and that every week they're to read every week. They are the ones who set up the synagogue service so that when you come to the temple, you know what you're supposed to. That's what the liturgy is about. That's why we go through it. And so that when you go to the temple, you know what you're supposed to do. You know what to expect. And then every week Torah is being read. Why? Because before the Babylonian captivity, nobody was reading Torah. Nobody was keeping Torah. They didn't even know. In fact, in fact, the Torah was lost. They found one scroll of the Torah in the temple. In one of the revivals that took place. There was one Torah scroll left. And so when they came from back from Babylon, they had learned their lesson. And so they set up the synagogue in every village. Every village had its synagogue so that the Torah would be read to the people every single week. And every year you would go through the Torah so that you know for yourself what the Torah says. You read it for yourself. In the synagogue, they learned to read and write and they learned to read the Torah. And so Yeshua tells them here, you're tithing, you're mint, and you're dealing, you're cumin. Well, you're doing good. That's good. However, so the first thing, the reason why, the reason why the temple was destroyed the first time was because they were not loving God with all their heart, soul, and strength. The second reason, the reason why the temple was destroyed for the second time was because they were not loving their neighbor as themselves. What is that? Justice and mercy and faithfulness. As Micah, Micah, the prophet said, you know, man, what it is that God requires of you. 
that you do justly, that you love mercy, and that you walk humbly before your God. And he said, it is necessary. You need to do both. Here's the point. Here's the point. If we come in here, it does not matter that you come in here with a talit. A talit gadol. A great talit. Dragging all the way to the ground. Following you five yards back. And then your tzitziot dragging even five yards behind that. Coming in like a grand king with your giant robe and your train coming behind you. If you do not love your neighbor as yourself, then wearing your talit is for nothing. If you do not love your neighbor as yourself, then tying on the the, the tefillim is for nothing. Going through the liturgy is for nothing. Your tithing of your finances is for nothing. Whatever you do. You see, we are told it is written that these things, if we come to pray before God, acknowledging sin in our heart, while we have sin in our heart, it is an abomination to Him. I was saddened yesterday to watch. I watched a documentary on a group of great rabbis recently. Who were charged with child molestation. We don't find these things just in Christianity. They come in. They say their prayers. They're bowing. They're putting on their tefillin. They're bowing before the ark. All the time regarding sin in their heart. This is what Yeshua is speaking about. They're so particular about how the knots are tied in their tzitziot. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not kidding you. Do you bow right or do you bow left at this point of the service? Do you do this? Do you do that? And they're so particular about all of that. All the while molesting a little boy. That's what Yeshua is saying. You're so careful with your little... Why does he mention... Why, why does he mention... 
you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Comino, you know cumin, comino, you use it, right? And dill and mint. Why is he mentioning those? Have you ever seen their seeds? Have you ever seen the, the seed, the, the, a dill seed? It's the one that gets caught in your tooth, you know, when you're eating a dill pickle or whatever, and it gets caught in your tooth and you can't get it out. Comino. They're little tiny, tiny seeds. And what he's telling them is that you, you have, a, you have a, a, a guy there, you know, and, and, and he's there with his toothpick and he's counting out his seeds. One for you, nine for me. One for you, nine. And he's counting very carefully. Oops, oh man, I just, I just, I got to start all over. I might have pushed one too many over there. And all the while he's doing that, there's a little old lady sitting on the curb right outside his door, starving to death. But he's carefully counting out his, the tithe of his kumi. They're all covered up in their talit, holy and sanctified. Well, there's a little orphan boy sitting there on the street curb, filthy and dirty and hungry. The Chassal teaches that the Beit Hamikdash was destroyed. This is the, from their mouth. The Holy Temple was destroyed due to baseless hatred. For the house of Shemai was against the house of Hillel and the house of Hillel was against the house of Shammai and everybody hated the Tzadukim, the Sadducees. And then there were the Zealots. And they would literally have riots in the street one against the other and they would literally maim and hurt and kill one another. But I tell you the most baseless hatred of all was the baseless hatred that those people had for Yeshua Mashiach. So much they hated him that they turned him over to the Romans to be crucified, to be executed. Yet he had done nothing wrong. Why? He tells you why here? Because they did not want to give up their power. They did not want to lose any money. I once sat with a rabbi, a young man. He was from Chile. And he asked me why I believed that Yeshua was Mashiach. And I explained to him, I, I explained it, I used the, 
the Moedim, the festivals, to explain to him why I believe. And as I was opening his eyes and opening his eyes, and he would be there like, wow. Literally, that time, he would be like, wow. He was getting it. He would tell me, magnifico, que tremendo. His brain, I mean, you could see it, he would go... I asked him, Rabbi, I said, do you see why we believe? He said, yes, I can see. I can see it. I can see it. I said, then Rabbi, why don't you believe? If you can see it, why don't you believe? He said, Ed, I do believe it here. But I cannot allow myself to believe it here. He said, these are his words to me, I would lose everything. I would lose my position. I would lose my synagogue. I would even lose my friends. I would even lose my family. So I cannot allow myself to believe here. Were his words to me. That was forty years ago. The reason they don't want to believe, they'll lose their power, they'll lose their position, they'll lose their means of financing, and they'll lose their friends and their family. I had a Jewish young man tell me about 15 or so years ago. He saw my tzitziot. He said to me, are you Jewish? I said, yes, I am. I'm Messianic. By the way, when people ask me if I'm Jewish, I don't just say yes. I tell them. I'm honest with them. Yes, I am. I'm Messianic. What does that mean? I believe Yeshua is Mashiach. Tell it all. It is because of him that I'm Jewish. He wanted to know why. And so I told him basically the same thing that I told the rabbi. And he he said, is it because of Isaiah 53? I said, yes. So he told me the story. He said he, he's a, he was an Orthodox Jew. He, he said, I went to my, my rabbi. He says, I've been, I've been uh, this, this man that, that uh, uh, works with me or, or is friends with me. And he says, he, he's been giving me these papers explaining how Jesus is the Messiah, how Yeshua is the Messiah. And, and, and so I, 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 it's got me wondering. It's got me questioning. And so he told me, he says, I, 
I go to my, I went to my rabbi and I asked him, Rabbi, is, can it be, can it be that, that Yeshua's Mashiach, that Yeshua's Messiah? And the rabbi, he said, the rabbi got upset with me, got after me, he said, so you, you know we're not supposed to be talking about those things. We cannot talk, we cannot discuss those things. He said, a few weeks later, I went over to, I went to my rabbi again and I took him to my, I said, I said, look at this, can it be? Can it be the rabbi refused to look at it and said, you know that this is not permitted. It is not permitted. They're not even allowed to look at it, to discuss it, to read it. And so he said the third time, a few weeks later, he said, I had more material and I had this and I, the, the explanation of Isaiah 53. And he said, I went to the rabbi, I said, Rabbi, look at this. I must know, is he the one? That's what he told me. He told his rabbi, I must know, is he the one? He said, the rabbi took the paper from his hand, pulled him over to the side, and whispered into his ear. Yes, yes, I believe he is. But we are never to discuss this again. And walked away. Why? Because if he were to admit that Yeshua is Mashiach, he would lose everything as far as he's concerned. Here's the point, and we're close. He has just finished telling the Prushim, you're washing the outside of the cup. What? The outward appearance. You're washing the outside of the cup, but the inside is dirty. You're a tomb full of dead men's bones. What does that mean? You're this beautiful mausoleum, but you're dead inside. Nothing but dead men's bones inside of you. They walk outside the temple compound. And the Talmudim turn to Yeshua and they say, but, but Rabbi, look at all these beautiful buildings. They don't get it. That's just what he was talking about. They're looking at the outward appearance. You can wear your kippah. And you can cover your head. And you can be circumcised. And you can make immersion. And you can buy a beautiful talit. And you can wear the all white tzitzit or the white and blue tzitzit. You can wrap your arm with tefillin. You can buy all the books. 
You can, you can buy the dreidel for Hanukkah. You can build yourself a sukkah. You can buy yourself a shofar and blow it a hundred times on Rosh Hashanah. You can buy yourself the whole Pesach Seder plate thing. All of it. In, in silver, gold, if you would. I mean, show yourself to be really spiritual. You're really religious. Mine's made out of gold. You can have the little Kiddush cup thing that you pour the wine in the top of it and it goes down into seven different cups or eight different cups or whatever. You can get all the accoutrements and you can dress, you can, you can have the... The the, 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 the the side locks down to your waist and you can have the beard this long, a beard growing contest. You can, sorry Emilio, you can have the beard growing contest. You can go the whole nine yards, but if you are not loving your neighbor as yourself, if we're not taking care of the poor and caring for the widows and orphans, we're not taking, treating, loving our neighbors as ourselves, being careful to help them and love them and be concerned for them. If we're not doing these things, we are dead men's bones living inside a dressed up mausoleum. We are nothing but beautiful cups on the outside, but we're filthy dirty on the inside. We're dead. That's what Yeshua is telling them. And it was for that cause that the, that's what Tishbiyav is about. That's why he tells them. It's that attitude that God, the temple, destroyed. You see why did they kill him? They killed him because they would not take care of the widow and the orphan. And he called them out. Because they were robbing and stealing. They were telling lies. They were going into great spiritual battle, getting into arguments and debates so much that they would become overheated and even get into fist fights with other sects. Because they wouldn't keep talking. The whole of the Torah is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The temple was destroyed the first time because they broke the first one. The temple was destroyed the second time because they broke the second one. And in breaking the first one and in breaking the second one, they broke all of it. Or they took the tablets of stone and threw them to the ground and 
smashed them. Who does that remind you of? And so we enter into this time of Teshuvah, of repentance. This is a time in which, and see Moshe and Devarim, as I mentioned earlier, he rebukes the people for the sins of the past 40 years. He calls it to their attention. You did this, and you did this, and you did this. Take care of that before you go into the land. So we are being called to take care of what's going on inside of us to clean the inside of the cup. And if you clean the inside of the cup, the outside of the cup will become clean as well. You see, if you're wearing talit, but you're regarding sin in your heart, then the talit becomes an ugly thing. It becomes an abomination. But if you take care of those things within your heart, and you guard, and you keep Torah within your heart, and you, you're, you're faithful, and, and you're, you're merciful, and you're kind, and you're compassionate, and you're forgiving, the talib becomes a beautiful thing. If you denigrate people and you put them down, you ignore the poor, you ignore the orphan, you ignore the widow, you, 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 you lie and you cheat and you steal, but you're wearing a kippah on your head, then you desecrate the kippah. And you make God and you make Judaism look bad. But if you treat others with kindness and with compassion and you, and, and, and you give to the poor and you, you cherish the widow and you, you, you do good things and, you, and you, you're honest and you're a good business person and you, 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 you do what you're supposed to do and you're wearing a kippah, then you make the kippah look good. Either way the people will never forget that you were wearing a kippah. When you treated them poorly or when you treated them righteously, they will remember they were wearing a kippah. They were wearing a head covering. I saw their tzitziot. you're going to wear it, wear it honestly. Wear it righteously. Otherwise, please don't wear it. Please don't do it. Father, we love you. We thank you for your love and your goodness to us. Lord, these words 
are strong. Perhaps difficult to hear. But they are meant with kindness and love. That we might be seen of men to be holy unto you. that we see these things to be of great importance, that we're careful about them, that we guard them, because we love you. Help us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to treat one another, treat those outside with kindness and goodness, compassion and mercy. Teach us to walk in your way. As we approach this most holy time of the year, the holiest day of the year, as we remember that that day is actually going to come and is near upon us when the King shall appear. No man knows the day or the hour. But what a dreadful, what an awful, awe-inspiring, magnificent day that's going to be. Father, when even those who are close to you and near to you are filled with dread and awe and wonder and even fear, for the coming of the King. For he comes to judge all of the earth. And every person who has lived upon it shall stand before him and give an account. Help us to be careful with our days and our moments. Help us to be careful with one another. To say nothing. To do nothing. That would be a stumbling block. To someone else. Father, to those whom we have hurt by word or deed. Give us the strength, the courage, the faith to seek those out and make it right in these coming days. And then when we have made things right with one another, Father, we will come before you and make it right with you. 
We pray that you would give us the space for repentance. The space to turn. The time. The courage. We love you and we thank you. We ask all of this in the name of Yeshua Mashiach and through his merit alone. Be Imru. That's all.